Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see all your shining faces. Last week, we had a very small quartet of people. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to singing together this morning. Let's stand and sing together.
Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sound. Thrown into the sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. singing quite a few times this summer, so I kind of feel like it's sort of our theme for the summer, but it's from Psalm 130. Um, Cam and I picked this one out together. It kind of goes with what you're doing, and kind of just because we love this song. Oh, 
Scripture that's in our bulletin from Psalm 72, 
It's Psalm 72, verses, uh, parts of 18 and 19. Let's read together. Praise the Lord God, who alone does such wonderful things. Praise his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. If you would like to bow with me, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to worship you this morning. We thank you that you do marvelous things in our lives. You give us wonderful things we don't deserve, and for that we give you praise. We thank you that we have your word, and we just pray that we are challenged through it this morning, as Glenn teaches us to it. And we just thank you that the earth is filled with your glory, and there's no place that we can go to escape it, that you are always with us. And we thank you, Father, uh, for taking um, heed of us and hearing our call. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Our scripture this morning can be found in Psalm 139. We'll be reading the entire chapter of Psalm 139, verses 1 through 24. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. <clears throat> if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, <clears throat> and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Thanks, Brad, and the worship team. And again, let's just ask God's guidance on our own hearts and own thoughts as we look into his word this morning. Lord God, we want to thank you that we can together as a body of believers just uh, look into this psalm and uh, hear what the message is for each one of us in our own personal lives here today. And uh, give me your wisdom as I speak it, and may we all see how it applies to us in our own individual lives. And go away from here, having been touched anew by how great you are, and touched anew by just your, your care. And go away from here desiring even more to walk close with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little boy asked his father uh, one day, Dad, does God know everything? And the father answered, Yes, my son. He does know everything. Why do you ask? And the son replied, Because our preacher, when he prays, is so long telling him everything, I thought maybe he wasn't posted. Ever think of that when I pray? Is that your thoughts? <laughs> when I pray Sunday morning? <laughs> Another story is told about Mark Twain. Um, apparently, one day at the Knickerbocker Club in New York, there was actually a club called the Knickerbocker Club in New York, very exclusive <laughs> gentleman's club. But anyway, at the Knickerbocker Club, a group of Mark Twain's friends recalled that it was his birthday. And so they decided for some fun to write him a, le a letter, collectively write him a letter. And so they composed seven or eight pages of pretty much pure nonsense, just for a lark, and mailed it off. But seeing as none of them knew exactly where Mark Twain was, uh, they just addressed it. Mark Twain, Lord knows where. <laughs> Several months elapsed when they received a letter in reply, and it just stated, he did. Mark Twain. <laughs> the Lord knew where. <laughs> when we talk about the omniscience of God, which we are going to be doing this morning, we are, of course, talking about that attribute of God which says that he is all-knowing. That's what omniscience means. It means all-knowing. Those of you kids who have been in youth group, you will have learned this very ably as Chris taught it to you. All-knowing. God is all-knowing, and of course, seeing that God is perfect, his knowledge is also perfect. And there is nothing that God does not know. Everything that has happened in the past, he knows. What's going on right now in the present, he knows. All that will happen in the future, he now knows. There's nothing that is a surprise to him. 
As we look in the Bible, we can see many teachings and many references that teach us that God is all-knowing. I'm just going to rattle through about five or six of them. Job chapter 12, verse 22. He reveals mysteries from darkness and brings the deep darkness into light. So things that are regarded as mysteries. Unsolvable problems. The human body, which is still a mystery to us. Just talking with Corey about that this morning. He knows. Darkness, something that has no light shed on it. God makes some of these things known because he knows all things. Job 26, verse 6. Naked is Sheol before him, and Abaddon has no covering. So Sheol and Abaddon, those are those refer to the abode of the dead. Hades or hell. Um, even hell cannot hide anything from God. They are all laid open and bare before him. Job 34, verse 22. There is no place that workers of iniquity can hide themselves from God, because he knows all things. Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord, and... Abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. So God is able to understand anything and everything because he knows all things. Proverbs 15 verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. So God sees all things. Thus he is all knowing. Hebrews 4 verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So those scriptures, we see from them very clearly, God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. What does that mean to you and I in our personal lives? I think the psalmist David asked himself that question. And while he was musing on this and thinking about all that it meant that God is all-knowing, I like to think, I don't know if this is true, but I like to think <laughs> that as he was thinking about this and as God started revealing things to him through the Holy Spirit, that he got out his stylus or whatever they wrote with back then and his tablet and, and, and he started writing. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote Psalm 139. So I'd like you to turn there if you're not there already. We're going to be looking at some selected psalms during the remainder of the summer months, as we've done frequently in the past, and not necessarily in the order that they appear in this book, uh, but kind of jumping back and forth, and the focus will be to help us all understand better how to relate to Almighty God on a personal level and grow in our relationship with God. So to start us off, we'll look at God's omniscience and what that means in regards to our relationship with him. We need to realize that as Christians. And we can realize that by studying the implications of God's omniscience that arise out of Psalm 139. Now, just a few things before we get into it. Uh, disclosures. Your uh, little handout in the bulletin with how the sermon outline, it's inaccurate. Because I added another point afterward. After I had printed that and put it all together and I was going through it, just put the finishing touches I had. No, we need another point. So I added another point. So be ready for that. Uh, and we're not going to go through this psalm in the order that it's written here. Uh, the ancient Hebrew writers at times employed a writing technique that is different than how we often think in the Western world. Uh, sometimes as a writing technique or as a poetic scheme, uh, 
they would start off by stating the fundamental truth that they are writing about, and then they will start explaining how they arrived at the understanding of that truth, which is backwards to how we often do it. We start with the explanation and then end up with the conclusion kind of thing. So we're going to start more in the middle of the psalm and then work our way to the beginning. And uh, also, again, full disclosure, verses 19 through 22, uh, we're going to kind of skip those verses. Not because they're difficult verses, but they are a bit difficult. To, uh, just to focus on God's omniscience and, and, and what it means to us. So those verses just are saying, you know, God being so great, and yet there's people who set themselves up against God and declare themselves as God's enemies, and the psalmist was just struggling with that and said, well, if they're God's enemies, they're my enemies too, because I'm with God. So that's kind of the gist of those verses. But we're going to kind of skip over uh, verses 19 to 22. So, anyway, applications of God's omniscience. Number one, God knows me intimately. God knows me intimately, verses 13 to 16. 13 to 16, that's where we're going to start. Now, most of us do not like to be known intimately by too many people. We have become experts on wearing masks. We have mastered the art of making ourselves appear as something that we really are not. We hide what we really are, what we really feel, what we really think. And we put on a mask to appear different, to hide what we really are. Why do we do that? Because we don't want people to know us intimately, for the most part. There are parts of us that we don't like. And we're convinced that if others knew those things, they wouldn't like us either. And so we wear masks. But, being human, we're kind of contrary. Because we don't want people to know us intimately, and yet we all long and desire to be intimate with at least one person. We all long for some close friends that we can really be intimate with. So we have that conflict going. Now in marriage, of course, there is that deep desire to be completely intimate with your marriage partner. And then, whether people know it or not, there is an incredible longing in everyone for intimacy with Almighty God. Blaise Pascal, that from hundreds of years ago, that French mathematician and physicist and inventor and philosopher and writer and theologian, and he was a lot of things. But anyway, he once said something like, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every human, and until he, God, invades and fills it, nothing satisfies. That deep longing in every person for something which is satisfying, something which is fulfilling, is just that. That's what it is. It's that longing for intimacy with God. Now, let's read verses 13 to 16. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. 
David is saying in these verses that God knows me and you intimately. He already knows you intimately. God formed in my inward parts, David says. That Hebrew expression carries with it a connotation of very tender feeling and sentiment. God lovingly formed my inward parts. Might be a better translation or a more complete translation. The parts that I perhaps try to hide from all others. God knows them because he formed them. Verse 15, God saw my frame when I was made in secret. Nothing, nothing was hidden from him. From the time you were conceived all through the gestation process of you, God saw it all, washed it all, was over it all, was involved in it all. God knows them because he formed them. You're every part of your unformed substance. Verse 15, God saw my frame when I was made in secret. There's nothing hidden from him. We were skillfully wrought, put together with great skill. The idea that my substance was curiously and artistically made. It wasn't as if all of us humans were all on an assembly line while we were being created and made and God was just kind of putting all the pieces in place as we kind of moved along. Like you see in a factory <laughs> when they make vehicles. Everyone a carbon copy of the one before. No, that's not how it was. God took special interest in me when he made me. He took special interest in you when he made you. You are a work of art of our almighty God that's unique. Skillfully and artistically formed. That's you. That's me. Verse 16, God's eyes saw me before anyone else did. And every detail he personally approved. According to the way God had ordained beforehand. He even planned exactly how many days I would live before I had even lived one day. He had already planned that. And put it in place. God knows me intimately. He knows me better than anyone else ever will or ever can. Thus, friend, we needn't be afraid to ever come to God with anything. We will not reveal to God anything that he doesn't already know. In fact, he knows us better than we know ourselves. In God, we have an intimate friend who knows us like no one else and yet loves us like no one else. Grasp that truth, friend, and, and let it get into the deepest part of your being. God knows me better and more completely than anyone else, and yet he loves me more than anyone else ever could. If God is omniscient, that means, and he is, God is omniscient, and he is, that means that God knows me intimately. Second application, God is always with me. God is always with me, verses 7 through 12, section just before. 
There are probably times in everyone's life when you are surrounded by feelings of tremendous loneliness. And even those of your most intimate friends seem far away from you. And you're just lonely. You're all alone. That's how you feel. But we need to remember that God, being the intimate friend that he is, is never far away from us. Ever. We have a friend in our God who is always with us. Ouch. More a God who is always with us that we cannot get away from. Verse 7. Where can I go from thy spirit? Where can I go from thy presence? There is no place that I can go to get away from the presence of God. Now, David isn't expressing a fear by saying that. Rather, I think he's expressing feelings of a, of a helpless creature standing in awe and wonder of the fact that he is always close to the Almighty. And the fact that God is everywhere, thus he's always with him, that was a very comforting thing to David. So that's a statement of comfort, not of fear. That I can't get away from him. Verse 8 goes on to explain. If I go up to heaven, God's there. If I go down to the abode of the dead, God's there. No matter where I am, there is also my God. No matter what circumstance I find myself in, there is also my God. Verse 9 and 10. If I go down to the or go to the highest extreme, down to the lowest extreme. God's there. If I fly away with the dawn, or if I plunge myself in the deepest and most remotest part of the sea, it's still God's hand that leads me. In both of these experiences that we may find ourselves in, it's still the same hand that leads me. It is still the same God that is there to lead and guide. That old southern gospel song says, The God on the mountain is still God in the valley. God is always with us. Verse 11 and 12. Even at times when we're in the darkest night, at the place with David, when, when we're feeling surely the darkness is going to overwhelm me. Some of you maybe have been there. You can know that feeling. Everything is dark. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. The darkness is going to overwhelm me. I can't bear it. Light turns to darkness. Even what is light is turning dark. Verse 12, to God darkness is not dark. Dark and light mean nothing to God and his omniscient eyes. He is there with us still. And very much seeing and being aware of all that goes on. A child once was asked the question, why is there only one God? Or, yeah, the child was asked the question, why is there only one God? And the answer the child gave back, because God fills every, every place and there is new, no room for another one. Because God fills every place and there is no room for another one. What a great answer. Friend, God is with you. He is an intimate friend and because he is God, he is there always, everywhere more than willing to guide you and give you his hand to walk you through whatever it is you need to walk through. If God is omniscient, and he is, that means he is always with me. Thirdly, God understands me perfectly. Now we're back to verses 1 through 6. 
God understands me perfectly. And this is the fundamental truth that God came, or that David came to realize. God is a God of understanding. It follows if God is omniscient, all-knowing, it follows that he is also all-understanding. He understands everything. And that means he understands you and I perfectly. Verse 1, thou hast searched me and known me. That includes all that relates to me. Soul, body, spirit. Carries with it the idea of knowing something that one has long and carefully studied. I remember studying for exams when I was in Bible college. Um, that's getting to be many long years ago now. But I do still remember it. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love the respect, um, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I do remember studying for exams. <laughs> When an important exam was coming up, my friends and I, we'd get together and we'd study together. And long and carefully. And it was really a good thing I had friends to motivate me because on my own I wouldn't have done that. But because I had friends to do it with, that motivated me and I kind of joined in and it was a good thing. But anyway, we studied together and we went through the stuff back and forth and quizzed each other back and forth to the point where we knew the material. Inside out, backwards and forwards. And that's the idea here. That's how God knows us. Not only because he has long and carefully studied us, but he actually made us. So obviously he knows us very well. Verse 2, all day long God sees my activities. He understands our thoughts from afar off. Before our thoughts are even conceived, God understands them. Verse 3, God studies the paths we choose to walk on. He knows what we walk by and what end we walk towards and what company we walk with. He's intimately acquainted with all our ways. There's something we can be sure of, friend, is that God understands us. You ever long for someone to really understand? You're going through a difficult situation, perhaps, and struggling and you can't even figure out exactly what's going on or why why it's affecting you the way it is or just you long for someone to understand that you can talk through it and you've lost perhaps the ability to look at the situation objectively you long for someone to totally understand to come and explain things and give you guidance ever felt that way I certainly have I remember feeling that there, there's no way I can explain this to people so they would understand. I've been there. But we can safely say that our God understands. He made us, as we've already seen. He carefully and lovingly formed us using his divine artistic creativity and not only formed our physical bodies, but our emotional beings were also carefully and lovingly formed by that same divine creativity. 
God understands perfectly our emotional nature. He designed it. All the thoughts that enter our heads, he understands. He designed us. Now, that doesn't make all our thoughts right. <laughs> By any means, it's not what this is saying. Some of our thoughts are downright sinful. But it means that he understands. God knows you better, friend, than you do. He understands you perfectly. He even understands how the sin nature has affected you personally. He understands that. Doesn't approve of it. Doesn't say what they're doing is right. He, just says, he understands all that. Verse 6 of David says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I, I, I can't attain to it. This is way beyond me. That's what David said. And I think we're all thinking about this and we're saying exactly the same thing. This is way beyond me. Our omniscient God understands me. All my fears, all my thoughts, all my emotions, all my joys, he understands. The temptations I face, some of those thoughts that come into my head that are so wrong. Yeah, they're wrong. They're sinful. But he understands where that's coming from and why it's coming from. And Think about that. What does that mean? That means he's able to guide and direct you like no other person can. If God is omniscient, and he is, that means he understands me perfectly. And then fourthly and finally, and this is a point that's not in your outline there, you can add in fourthly and finally, I need to allow God to reveal and to guide. And can write to the end here, verses 23 to 24. I need to allow God to reveal and guide. So David, this is the conclusion then. So David concludes in these verses, God who knows me better and understands me better than I do myself and knows all things, God who is always with me, search me and know me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. And if there is, reveal it to me and then lead me in your way, the everlasting way. <laughs> Interesting when you compare verse 1 to verse 23. Verse 1 told us that God has searched us and known us. Verse 23 is a request that God would search us and know our hearts. The difference is that as a result of coming to an understanding of these truths, David was wanting God to reveal to him. God, reveal to me the results of your searching. Show me, God if there are any areas of wickedness in my heart that I perhaps am not even aware of, show me. Reveal that to me. With the implication then that together we can work on getting rid of that area of wickedness that we perhaps are not even aware is there. The sin nature has affected us all very deeply. There are areas of wickedness in every one of us that we probably at this point are not even aware of. And along with that, and in addition to that, there is a desire on God's part to follow God's leading. Lead me in the everlasting way, David says. 
There's a desire in David to allow God to lead him away from that revealed wickedness along the path toward eternity, which is the path of righteousness, the everlasting way. If God is omniscient, and he is, then I need to allow God to reveal the truths about myself to me and allow God to lead me in the everlasting way and follow him in that leading. So therefore we see the fact that God is omniscient. We see from that fact that it means a lot to me as a Christian. Number one, it means that God knows me intimately. Number two, that God is always with me. Number three, that God understands me perfectly. And then because of all that, number four, I need to allow God to reveal and to guide. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've, you've never thought about God in this way. You've, maybe you realize you've never given God much thought at all. <laughs> I'm looking at who's here this morning and I'm pretty sure that doesn't apply to any of you. <laughs> but, but I don't know your heart. Only you know that, you and God. But maybe you're here just longing for that intimacy with, with him. And it starts, of course, with that first step of placing your faith in him and accepting him as your savior. He loved you enough to die for you to pay the price for that sin that's so deep in your heart. It's paid for if you accept him and place your faith in him. Maybe you've done that at some point, but just kind of left it at that and just kind of kept on living your life much the same as always. You ever realize that the almighty God of the universe deeply desires a deep, intimate relationship with you and wants you to want that as well? If that's you, I'd, I'd encourage you to get serious about your faith and what it means. Get to know God. It comes through Bible reading, through prayer, through regular church attendance. Etc., etc., all those things. And as you do that, just allow God to do the work in you that needs to do and just develop that personal relationship with Him. Grow as He so lovingly is reaching out to you and wanting to walk with you through what your life holds and what your life is. Let's make verse 23 and 24 our prayer. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me or sinful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Let's take our time and silence. Amen. Music team, please. <clears throat> this next one is a new version of Psalm 23. Um, so we haven't actually done this one together, but it, the words are easy because it's Psalm 23. I think it makes a good complement to the sermon and um, also just a good... 
It's one of everybody's favorite songs, so let's stand and sing together.
And we're going to close with um, one that perfectly sums it up because it's the exact words. Cleanse me. Thank you for your singing.